Well, welcome to Chi Alpha, guys. My name is Tim, and I am honored to be on staff here with Chi Alpha. Yeah. Uh, I'm super excited to celebrate our seniors tonight, if you didn't know. Senior night tonight. But man, this, this year has gone by way too fast. It's gone by really fast. Um, something I, I wanted to say is that it's just been such a joy to be a part of this community. I feel so blessed to be following Jesus alongside you guys here at Central. And this is legitimately one of the most humble and teachable groups of people that I've had the privilege of living and learning with. So thank you all for, for modeling Jesus to me and helping me be more humble and teachable. Love you too, Jackson. Random citizen. Yeah. <laughs> so tonight, uh, I actually get to conclude one of uh, my, my favorite message series that we've ever done on antiheroes. Have you guys been enjoying it so far? Yeah. I mean, the Old Testament is slowly becoming clearer and clearer to me. I hope it's been the same for you guys, too. Can we give a shout out to Nancy for making some of the coolest slides I think I've ever seen? Yeah, Nancy's been putting a ton of, of time and energy into Tuesday nights, uh, as well as many other people. So thank you to everyone who's been serving our, our community on Setup and Teardown, on Sound, on Worship Team, on Slides, on Tuesday Planning and Coordination, our teachers, and to our leadership team. So let's just round of applause. Thanks, guys. But speaking of leadership, did anyone do any kind of student leadership in elementary school, middle school, high school? Show of hands, yep. Okay, little known fact about me. In elementary school, I was elected as a student council representative for a few years. I know, I thought it was a pretty big deal. And so, in fifth grade, I ran for vice president of my school. And my dad made these fake million dollar bills with my face on them, with like, vote for Tim. There's a, there's a slide. Yep, yep, that's, that's me. So yeah, I, I also had to prepare a speech for the entire school. Uh, and of course, being in fifth grade, I had no experience writing speeches or public speaking. So I asked my siblings who were in high school to help me. And they recruited some of their friends to help. And so I basically had this great speech ready to go, written by high schoolers. Um, and so <laughs> the day finally arrives for the, all the candidates to basically give their like vote for me speech, right? And so it, and it's now my turn to speak. And I'm just crazy nervous. And I take a deep breath. And I look out into the audience. And I have my script right here. And I start. My name is Tim McGuee, and I basically just like read as quickly as possible. It was terrible. Probably the only potentially audible phrase that, um, that was uttered was, don't think twice, vote Tim for vice. Uh, yeah. Would you vote for me? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, needless to say, I did not win the vice presidency. Yeah. In fact, I actually I lost to one of my best friends at the time. It was brutal, yeah. But, somewhat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, anyways, I get to conclude our, our message series on antiheroes and the last Chi Alpha of the year. Um, but before we jump into our next biblical antihero, let's, let's recap what we've learned so far. So if you've been closely following, you might have noticed that we started in Kings and then actually backtracked to Samuel and then backtracked even more to Judges, um, which is interesting. You might be thinking, hey, Tim, that's not how you read the Bible. <laughs> well, hang on a second. Before I respond to that, 
let's actually recap who we've talked about so far and the things that they've struggled with. So we had Solomon, King Solomon, or King Shlomo, his Hebrew name. Uh, was, he was a great king, but he slowly compromised his relationship with God over many years, one unchecked decision, bad decision at a time. And then we talked about Eli and his apathy, how he had weak eyes. Remember that the, the biblical authors portray physically weak eyes to represent spiritually weak eyes or just poor perception. So Eli had weak eyes. He had terrible children who he didn't really try to teach or correct or disciple. And overall, he thought Eli was just pretty apathetic with his relationship with God. And then we talked about Samson, who Brandon perfectly summarized with, me see, me want, me feel, me act. That's Samson, uh, which is in fact the polar opposite of apathy, impulse. And then last week, uh, we learned about the judge, Jephthah, uh, who ended up sacrificing his own daughter because he didn't truly know the character of God. Right? Jephthah was, he was so influenced by the surrounding cultures that he was, he was tempted by and fell to syncretism, which is a combination of, world, of worldviews, combining worldviews. And this week, we get to learn about why all of these events took place, which is why we backtracked, right? We get to learn about why all of these events took place. Because the single biggest factor as to why all these events took place is a lack of discipleship. And it all starts with Joshua. So let's, let's pray before we dive in. Jesus, thank you for, for genuine friends and genuine community. Thank you. Have you've been shaping our community to look more like you just every single day, Lord? I, I pray that tonight you'd be just speaking to each of us individually um, about how we can further be molded into your image, um, about how we can pass on the things that we've learned here in Chi Alpha and to who. And Jesus, I pray that you just open up our hearts and minds to you tonight to hear from you. Amen. All right, Bible pastors, would you come on up? Um, we're going to be reading, reading quite a bit of scripture, so it'll be important to have a Bible with you. Uh, if you don't have one, go ahead and raise your hand, and these Bible pastors will get you one. Um, and if you want to keep it, go ahead. That's our gift to you. So we're going to be looking at the biblical character, Joshua. Mm-hmm, Joshua. Yeah, does, does anyone actually know the first mention of Joshua in the Bible? It's not Joshua. <laughs> not the book of Joshua. <laughs> Good. It's in Exodus. That's nice. Hey, there to go. Yep, Exodus 17. Uh, nice, it's close. So yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll recap a little bit, but Joshua was, he was actually a slave in Egypt before Moses led Israel through the Red Sea. And so in Exodus 17, yeah, Moses had basically just led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they are wandering in the desert, and other nations end up attacking them. And so Moses, who is again, he's the one leading the Israelites, he appoints Joshua to lead the military. And, and Joshua is pretty successful at it. So basically, Joshua's entrance into the biblical narrative is as a stud warrior, trusted by Moses to select and train troops, and faithful to carry out whatever task was needed. That's a pretty, pretty great entrance, if I do say so myself. So let's, let's fast forward a bit. Um, and actually, let's, let's flip to Deuteronomy 31. The, the text will be on the slide, but we're going to pick up shortly after Deut Deuteronomy 31. Um, so yeah, Deuteronomy 31, we, we have to know that Joshua is essentially Moses' second in command, uh, and Moses has been training him, 
like diligently. So I'll, I'll summarize what's been happening again in Deuteronomy 31. Moses is getting pretty old, uh, and he cannot lead the Israelites past the Jordan River. And so God ends up telling Moses to commission Joshua as the new full-on leader. And God tells Moses in verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. That's the, the warring tribes. For Yahweh, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a powerful promise. And then Moses passes on this exact same encouragement to Joshua in the presence of all of Israel. In verse 8, he says, Be strong and courageous. And this is to Joshua. He says, For you must go with this people into the land that Yahweh swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Yahweh himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do you guys see what's happening here? This is discipleship in action, right? Moses passes on what he hears from God to Joshua, right? This is, this is discipleship. What one learns, teach to the next qualified person, right? This is, this is what discipleship is. And so keep in mind, discipleship isn't just relaying information. It's walking alongside. It's giving leadership experience and opportunity to grow and fail, it's encouraging and correcting when necessary. Discipleship is for those who show they are ready for that. And this is exactly what Moses models with Joshua. A little side note, if you read Numbers 27, 18 through 23, you basically see like an almost step-by-step discipling process of God discipling Moses to disciple Joshua. It's a pretty cool thing to read. So check that out later. So let's, let's flip to Deuteronomy 34. Um, we're getting to, we get to the very end of the law, the end of the Torah. And yeah, we're going we're to read Deuteronomy 34, 7 through 9. So would you flip there? Okay. It reads, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, hmm. nice. nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of chokmah, the Hebrew word for wisdom, the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what Yahweh had committed Moses. Wow, it's a pretty great ending to a book, right? There's hope. There's a new Moses figure one who is leading the people out of the desert into the promised land, just as Moses led the people out of slavery um, in Egypt. There, there are actually a ton more parallels between Joshua and Moses, but we'll see those a little bit later. Uh, let's actually turn just the, immediately next to the, to the next page, uh, and we're going to see how Joshua starts. So we're going to flip to Joshua 1, 1, 9, or 1 through 9. Joshua 1. And we'll, we'll see how Joshua does. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, Yahweh said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, 
to the Mediterranean Sea, to the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For Yahweh your God will be with you wherever you go. All right. So you, you might have noticed Joshua is being told to be strong and courageous a lot. It's probably like five times in this one section. Um, and, hey, like new leaders need encouragement, right? That might be what it is. But, but what does this really mean? Like, what does this even mean to be strong and courageous? Um, if, if I'm being honest, this rallying cry of be strong and courageous has often meant to me, be the one in control and rely on yourself. Anyone else think this way too? See, I, I really don't think that's what the biblical author is getting at, but that's kind of what I've, I've twisted it to become. See, to be, to be strong and courageous, biblically speaking, is actually to rely on God's word as opposed to the culture around us. It's to act in wisdom instead of impulse. It's to take action in serving God and loving people instead of passively believing he exists. It's to have integrity and follow through as opposed to compromise. See, it actually takes real strength to do these things. That's what biblical strength is. And it takes the, whole, the help of the Holy Spirit and community to remind us to work on these things. Be strong and courageous. Again, if, if we're honest, we, we just often forget basic things when it comes to following Jesus. Am I right? Do you know how many times I've needed someone to tell me that Jesus forgives me? Or, or Jesus loves you? Or the spirit of Jesus is with you? Or that God still actually, he just cares for me? Do you know how many times I've needed to hear that? We, we need people in our life to keep us on track. And we need people in our life to remind us of biblical truths. And we also, in turn, need to be people who remind our friends of biblical truths as well. See, this is what a community of discipleship really looks like. So let's, let's look back at the text. Let's look at verse 8 again. Um, it says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Did you guys hear that? That what God says to Joshua, he says, know my word, meditate on my word, live and breathe my word, and you will prosper as a nation. And actually, this is pretty much what happens in the book of Joshua. We're, we're going to watch uh, how the Bible Project unpacks the first half of the book. All right. So you might have noticed that Joshua is, for the most part, doing really well, leading Israel. Right? Um, it's, it's almost like Moses' discipleship and his training of, of Joshua has paid off, <laughs> right? Well, the book continues uh, with Joshua dividing up the land to the Israelites 
which was actually really important to them because it was the fulfillment of God's promise to them. And then, as Joshua is nearing the end of his life, he commissions the tribes. Um, in, to a couple of the tribes, in, in chapter 22, verse 5, he says to them, Be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you, to love Yahweh your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And then further, in, in chapter 23, verses 3 and 6, he says to more of the tribes, You yourselves have seen everything Yahweh your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was Yahweh your God who fought for you. And then verse 6, be very strong. There's that word again. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to Yahweh your God as you have until now. So Joshua totally gets it, right? He seems to have read the Torah, right? And so finally, the the book ends, Joshua chapter 24. The book ends, and uh, this is my rendition of what happened. Okay, Joshua says to the people, serve God. And the people say, we will totally do that. And then Joshua responds, are you sure you can do this? And then the people say, yes. And then Joshua says, I don't think you can do this. And then the people say, yes, we totally can. And that's chapter 24. And then the book closes out really by saying in verse 31, Israel served Yahweh throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything Yahweh had done for Israel. Right? This, this is good stuff, right? Israel is serving, serving God. Okay, so, so Joshua, he ends up living a very full life. He ends up being very, very obedient to God and, and leading God's people faithfully. So what's the problem with that? The problem is what is to come. You guys know, you guys know what book follows Joshua? Judges. Judges is the book that follows Joshua chronologically. So let, let's just compare Joshua 1.1 to Judges 1.1. I think there's a slide for this. Yep. Joshua 1.1 reads, After the death of Moses, a servant of Yahweh, Yahweh said to jo- Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, blah, 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 blah. And then Judges 1.1, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked Yahweh, who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? Okay, first, that's quite the parallel. If there's one thing that you ought to have picked up by now, it's that the biblical authors are extremely intentional with their writings. They're always referencing back to each other. Second, do you see the problem? In the first quote, God speaks to the leader, right? He speaks to Joshua. In the second, all of Israel asks God, who? Right? So here's the problem. No one has been set up to take responsibility or to hold people accountable or to remind others of their covenant with Yahweh to gently or harshly correct when someone's off. There's no one leading in true biblical strength and courage. You guys remember the definition of biblical strength? Yeah, it's reliance on God's word. And, and by the time chapter 2 rolls around, it seems as if there, there really isn't a whole lot of hope. So let's, let's flip to Judges 2, and let's, let's read 
um, verses 6 through 11. All right, this, this reads, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served Yahweh throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things Yahweh had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah Hares in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither Yahweh nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of Yahweh and served the Baals. Well, there it is. You see, this is what happens when the baton isn't passed. The last few weeks, we, we saw what happened through Judges, through Samuel and Kings, and it's pretty much a lot of disaster. I mean, the, the book of Judges is literally characterized by this quote. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's how Judges is characterized. So what happened? Like, why didn't Joshua raise up another Joshua like Moses had? Why didn't he do that? Well, the answer, I actually have no idea. I don't know why he didn't. I mean, there are a lot of potentials, uh, like maybe a lack of foresight, a, a lack of thinking ahead. Uh, maybe you could argue that Joshua, like, put too much trust in the people. I'm not sure. Uh, but what I do know is that there really isn't a good excuse for Joshua. You see, as good practicing Jews, we would know the Shema by heart, right? Remember the, the Shema? This is an ancient prayer, and it's recited today by practicing Jews. Um, actually, I'm going to teach it to you guys. You guys ready? Repeat after me. Shema, O Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Pretty good. Shema O Israel. So this, of course, comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Um, and so it reads, Shema O Israel. Hear, like hear, O Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. So that's the Lord or Yahweh um, is God. And then Adonai Echad, which is the Lord or Yahweh is one. And then it continues, love Yahweh your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Joshua quotes this. Uh, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And again, as, as good practicing Jews, we would also know our intended purpose, right? As Taylor mentioned last week, Exodus 19, 5 and 6 reads, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You guys remember this? Yeah, God's intention was for Israel to image him to the nations, to be that kingdom of priests, those who mediate between God and humans, representing God to the rest of humanity. And the section we read uh, in Deuteronomy 31 we, we read earlier about Moses commissioning Joshua. This even has a section about writing songs so that people can remember who they are and what their purpose is. So again, what happened with Joshua? I don't really know. 
I, what I do think could happen is, is that Joshua got so caught up in doing good and leading well that he just didn't make time to bring someone alongside his great conquests and good deeds so that they could do the same in his absence. So this brings me to my main point, this biblical principle, a success without a successor is a failure. I'm going to say that again. A success without a successor is a failure. You see, Joshua's individual life was, was one of faithfulness. It was one of faithfulness to God. But it died with him, right? He had so much to teach, so much wisdom to impart onto the next generation, so many leadership skills to pass on. So I have a question for you guys. Did you know that you can live a personally faithful life to God, yet miss one of the most essential parts of following him? Let me say that again. Did you, did you know that you can live a personally or individually faithful life to God, but miss one of the most essential parts of actually following him? Joshua's failure to replace himself is the thing that led to the downfall of Israel and the tragic stories recorded in Joshua. It all started with Joshua not training someone up. And in the same way, it actually would be our failure if we didn't take the responsibility to train individuals in the next generation to be strong and courageous, right? To know and seek God consistently through his word, to know Jesus as king, and for those people to train others in the exact same way. For every person who calls themselves a Christ follower, this is the call of Jesus on our lives, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Right? As, as Christ's ambassadors, this is what we are called to do. We're to, we're to make disciples who make disciples who make more disciples. As Taylor said last week, these stories um, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament, they're just, they're just begging for a better leader. They're begging for a leader who can, just, who can resist the temptations that all humans seem to succumb to. Or in, jo- in the case of Joshua's failure, one who trains a legacy of people seeking God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's, of course, in Jesus that we find a corrected narrative. Jesus corrects Joshua's narrative by discipling a few faithful people to take the mantle after he was gone. This was his directive, actually, from the beginning. This was his understanding of being a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Jesus understood his role as a kingdom of priests was to disciple others, to disciple others, to disciple others. And if we read through the Gospels, we very clearly see that Jesus' mission primarily revolved around the 12 disciples. He, was, he lived with them. He taught them. He taught others while they watched. Uh, yes, he did like preach to the masses. He, ta- he taught the masses. But the bulk of his time and his prime means of passing on his teachings was spent with his disciples, his closest friends. So was, was Jesus successful in his mission? Yes. And how do I know that? Well, we are here. We are the evidence of his labor, right? <laughs> Did you know that if you are following Jesus today, you are very likely 
a direct spiritual descendant of one of Jesus' disciples. Let that sink in. You're likely a direct spiritual descendant of one of Jesus' disciples. Now, I know that it, it's not always, it doesn't always work that way, uh, but likely the person who discipled you was discipled by someone who was discipled by another, by another, by another, by another, all the way back to Jesus. And so this is the difference between Joshua and Jesus, is that after Jesus ascended, he, he left people, his closest friends, who could change the world after him because they had been trained and they had received the Holy Spirit to guide them. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You haven't heard it now. This is the Great Commission. <laughs> and it reads, this is Jesus speaking. He says to his disciples, Therefore, go and make more disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? So he says, teach them, train them. He doesn't say, like, preach at them. <laughs> Right? Uh, one of my favorite sayings is more is caught than taught. You see, Jesus' plan for the salvation of the world was to make disciples, who make more disciples, who make more disciples, one person at a time until he comes back. Preaching to the masses was actually not his way of doing that. And I, know, I know for me, I used to think that church is where ministry happens and that only the super Christians are really qualified to do that. And it's actually really easy to slip into this kind of thinking uh, and to disqualify ourselves. But, but I believe that Jesus is calling us as a community to step into his reality of first taking time learning how to be a disciple of Jesus and secondly, to replicate what we've learned in a select few around us at a time. You see, no one is expecting you, Jesus is not expecting you to disciple every person in the world, just a few at a time. Paul, Paul has this same notion uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I have a question for, our, for us. Is this our mentality? Is this how we understand the gospel as a means of discipleship? Is this our mentality? So as most of us are, are probably aware, uh, we're about to head into summer. And so I, I wanted to ask and I wanted to challenge our community in, in a few ways. Um, a little warning, some of these questions are, are a bit pointed, uh, but I'm, I'm just attempting to provoke us to lean into Jesus' understanding of discipleship. So are, are you ready? Okay. I want to ask you seniors in, in the room, how are you going to take what you've learned in Chi Alpha and about discipleship into the next season of life? How are you going to take what you've learned in Chi Alpha and discipleship into the next season of life. Who is your Joshua? Right? Are you actively looking and praying for your next Joshua or just your next job? To those who maybe have a couple years left at Central, who is going to be your Joshua? Do you have an idea as to who is going to take the mantle from you before you graduate? What are you going to do this summer to foster an environment of seeking after Jesus and continual growth? Is your notebook of Chi notes, retreat notes, and personal God times just going to sit in a box forever? The hard truth is that if the church stops raising up Joshua's, the church will quickly fade. And on a more personal note, on the college campus, if none of us raise a Joshua, Chi will also fade. 
And this is the root of Jesus' teaching, to make disciples. And again, Paul furthers this thought in 2 Timothy 2.2, my favorite verses, it says, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Paul's concern here isn't about a personal legacy, like making himself famous. It's, a, it's about a kingdom legacy. It's a legacy of people who radically love God and radically love people. And in this one sentence, Paul has in mind three generations of disciples past himself. And this was essential to Paul's understanding of this gospel. And this is the mentality that we must have as disciples of Jesus. So at this point, you might be thinking, okay, I get it. I'm convinced that discipleship is essential for my walk um, as a Christ follower. But what, like, what should I be passing on? So that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, technically, uh, you should be passing on everything that Jesus has taught us, a.k.a. the Bible. Um, and discipleship is holistic, and so it, it, it encompasses like a ton of things, uh, but that isn't super helpful as like a concrete thing. Uh, it's, a, it's just too broad. So I've, I've narrowed it down to one main thing that everything else flows from. In, in Matthew 22 and, and Mark 12, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he responds with, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is my answer as well. This is what we need to pass on. We need to pass on a pursuit of Jesus, a deep longing and seeking after Jesus, a deep love for people, right? This is the mark of a disciple and everything else will flow from this. This is what we need to replicate. So as we move into, into worship, I want to invite the worship team up. Um, I, I wanted to ask us a couple reflections, reflection questions. Uh, number one, how am I doing at operating in biblical strength and courage? What are the influences causing me to stray away? Number two, who is my Joshua? Or who's going to be my Joshua? What will it take to find them? And number three, what have I learned this year that I want to take into the summer? And will you commit to fostering an environment of continual growth in yourself and the friends that you've made this year? So I encourage you guys to take the next couple minutes and just reflect on these questions as we move into worship.